you know, coincidentally that the more time away that I spend rejuvenating, the sharper I am when I actually do the work. So my effective work hour is actually more powerful. It's like having high compressed oxygen versus regular air. I love that analogy. And I have to say, James, over the last year that I've been working with you, this is exactly the message you've been hammering home. And I have really absorbed that about being focused and being totally present when you're working. I'm Ryan Dice from digitalmarketer.com and you're listening to my buddy Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com, with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to getmetodone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights membership program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, we then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Productive Insights podcast. I'm really excited because today is a major milestone for Productive Insights. This is our 50th episode and I have a very, very special guest who was instrumental in getting me started with this podcast in the first place. So I thought it would be quite poetic to feature him as our guest on the 50th episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest who I featured in episode two of this podcast series. He's mentored several seven and eight figure business entrepreneurs and helped them grow their businesses exponentially by giving clear and direct advice. He's the master of essentialism and cuts through all the noise to get to the core business issues extremely quickly. He's one of the brightest people I know, and I'm proud to call him my friend and mentor. I'd like to welcome James Shramko from Superfast Business. Welcome, James. Hey, thanks for having me, Ash. And that, that's a great bio. I wonder if I can borrow that. <laughs> You've worked hard on that. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. I, you can most certainly borrow it. Now, it's been a long time since we last spoke, James. How have you been? I've been great. I've had a few surfs in between then and now and uh, traveled around a bit. And uh, how have you been? Okay, I should clarify for the audience what I meant by it's been a long time since we last spoke. I'm part of James's Superfast Business Group and I just met up with him as part of our monthly meetups. So that was my attempt at a joke when I said it's been a long time since we last met. I've been only speaking to James like about, what is it, about 11 hours ago. So that's what I meant by it's been a long time since we last spoke. And I truly meant it when I said I've been for a couple of surfs since then. <laughs> <laughs> James and I were talking yesterday and he's a very enthusiastic surfer. When James isn't helping entrepreneurs grow their businesses, 
he's out there surfing and rejuvenating his very sharp business mind. That's a great um, distinction there, Ash. The rejuvenation aspect, I think, is one thing missing from a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. We all get sucked into that vortex, especially in the beginning, where there's almost nothing more important than sitting at the computer and you know, urgently getting that next thing and that next thing and that next thing when we're on that treadmill of having to put in a lot of work up front mm-hmm. before we get the result and it, it feels like that's our only choice. But I have found, you know, coincidentally that the more time away that I spend rejuvenating, the sharper I am when I actually do the work. So my effective work hour is actually more powerful. It's like having high compressed oxygen versus regular air. I love that analogy. And I have to say, James, over the last year that I've been working with you, this is exactly the message you've been hammering home. And I have really absorbed that about being focused and being totally present when you're working, but reducing the number of things you're focusing on and having laser focus when you're on. But when you're off, you're off and you're really having a great time. You're rebuilding your inner resources and some of your best creative ideas happen when you're not actually focused on the job. So that's a very important message for all business owners and entrepreneurs that the solution isn't necessarily just working more but it's about sometimes actually taking a step back and working less but working on the right things. Yeah, having a high impact. And I know that someone listening to this might be at the early stages of business and think that it's a luxury they can't afford to take, Mm -hmm. but it's actually mandatory. And the way to achieve it is to just partition time off for yourself. Just go into your calendar and schedule one hour for yourself each day where you're not on a device, where you're not working. Sure, you, you could actually watch YouTube videos if you want, you know, go and look up a comedian or um, cat surfing videos or whatever that's that's not work-related, like complete switch off or watch a movie or something on Netflix and just get away from it or play PlayStation or go for a walk in the park with the dogs. But try and do something that is completely unrelated to your everyday droning sort of work because that allows you to sharpen up for when you do get back to it. Absolutely. I completely agree. That has been my experience and it is so important to rejuvenate and be focused. Okay. So James, I've noticed that a lot of businesses are really focused on lead generation instead of profitability. And I know that this is something you and I have discussed at some length. Could you share your thoughts on how you see lead generation and profitability and how you you would prioritize them as business goals? Sure. I mean, the focus on lead generation is mostly because other things are broken. So it's really just um, a surface um, highlight that there's something wrong with the rest of the, the business. And there's several things that businesses could do to have better profit results from their existing infrastructure without having to focus so much on getting the next lead through the door if they could fix other parts of the profit formula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the leads is just the first step of a profit formula. And if you go back and study material from legends like Jay Abraham, you'll find that he had a fairly straightforward formula of um, the leads times the customer equals sales, you know, times the, the dollar amount times the frequency equals your profit. Um, so the profit formula that I like to operate from is leads times conversions equals sales. So that gives you a customer. It's times the the dollar amount of the transaction times the frequency of the transaction times the margin equals profit. 
-hmm. Now, you might want to re-listen to that bit or slow it down or perhaps illustrate it on your blog post. But so many people focus on that first step of leads when if you go further down the the chart, you can find things that have far more impact, especially conversions. So you can do a lot of things to improve your conversions so that you speak to less people but you still sell more. Mm -hmm. And then the other part that's really interesting is the frequency and that's where if you're selling one-time products, then you always need new leads. But if you sell recurring products, that frequency starts to take care of itself. Instead of making one sale, if you have a recurring monthly membership and people stick around for two or three years, your frequency goes up to 24 or 36 months. Mm. That makes a significant impact to the profit. You could imagine you'd have uh, 10 or 20 times the profit just by changing the style of, of how you package your products and services. So if I were just to summarize that, the way that you package your services, whether you look at things like recurring uh, aspects, um, certainly the dollar amount that you sell for can make an immediate impact as well. And this Mm. is without having to get another lead. It's just reconfiguring the way that you're selling the things that you're selling. Yes, yes, absolutely. I know that the analogy you use very often is it's the difference between hunting and farming where when you go to hunt, you know, hunt for a new kill every single day and it's beginning that whole process again from scratch as opposed to farming where you just plant the seeds and you cultivate what you've sowed over a period of months and years and possibly in the case of business, several years. Yeah, and, and like imagine if you're farming uh, fish and you have a little pond there and you can see it's full of fish. Mm-hmm. It removes that desperation that that you get uh, if you're a hunter and you have to go out and maybe catch some dinner or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe the family's going to go hungry tonight. And maybe mm-hmm. tomorrow you're now weak and, and extra hungry and you start to get more desperate and you, you'll start to spear anything that moves. You, you might be eating toads or something because you need to <laughs> compromise. And it, this is such a good metaphor for what happens in business. The, the desperate hunter is going to take a scrappy customer. They're going to compromise on what they would rather be doing just to get some money in the door because the whole focus turns into survival rather than having a a measured and profitable existence. Whereas the farmer can just walk out to the orchard and grab an apple off the tree, you know, cruise down to the fish pond and grab a nice trout. Like the farmer has a sustainable long-term future. So they're not so worried about survival. They're now able to focus on other parts of the puzzle other than just getting more apple trees or more trout ponds. Now they can work on the other parts of it. How much can they sell their produce Mm. for if they have surplus, et cetera. And that ties in beautifully with your initial point, which was, you know, being able to have downtime and being able to rejuvenate. Now, if you're hunting and wondering whether you're going to catch your dinner for tonight or not, you're going to be in that scarcity and desperation mode. But if you have a farming approach and if you build your business from scratch with a recurring income idea in mind, then you're not going to be at the mercy of, you know, the lucky draw, as it were. And you're much more likely to be focused and collected in your approach. You're more likely to build sustainable systems that will help you to grow in a controlled and structured manner. Exactly. You're actually taking less compromise. So now your confidence can improve. Yeah. And and you're also able to focus on things where you can make the biggest difference. So you won't just take the first client that comes in the door. You're more likely to work with clients that you can genuinely deliver results to. And you only take on the good clients that are going to be 
regular payers and people who have stable businesses as well. So you're building an entire culture that is more sustainable when you start with a recurring approach as opposed to a very one-off approach to business with a customer. Exactly. Okay. So as an extension of that discussion, let's talk a little bit about some of the biggest things you've seen, biggest recurring themes you've seen when it comes to these entrepreneurs that you've worked with. What have they done or what errors have they made and how have they left profit on the table? One clearly is that they haven't developed recurring subscription models, but are there any other big mistakes you've seen where entrepreneurs are leaving profit on the table? I'm not so much talking now about mistakes where, they've, where they're leaking profit from existing structures, but errors of omission, as Warren Buffett calls it, you know, things that they could be doing that they aren't doing to increase profitability. Well, I could just one step before that, at least we've covered the fact that Whilst some people are grabbing the profit off the table, um, they're forgetting about living. <laughs> so yes. the step before that is make sure that it's all worthwhile, that what you're building is what makes you happy. Mm. And so assuming that and you've got a business and you just want to find more profit in it, the other thing that I see is really relates to that uh, customer itself and that is cultivating your existing customer base. So even if you don't have a recurring program, you can still do things like reactivate previous customers. So if you've got all these customers coming through the door, you could find out other things that they buy and perhaps offer the, those things as an affiliate or you could re-offer the thing that you sold the first time and maybe you've made changes to the thing that you sold before or maybe your customer needs it again. Mm. Uh, for example, if you were a photographer and you sold portfolio pictures of a family, maybe a year later, you might offer them to come back to the studio and get an update to their family portrait. Now that Freddie's grown a couple of inches and, and um, you know, Betty's getting a bit older and, and dad's now got gray hair, you might want to just capture that moment each year. So there are opportunities to go back to your existing customer who's the easiest to reach because you already dealt with them before. They don't absolutely hate you and you know how to get a hold of them with their email address or phone or, or direct response mail and you can invite them to do business again. So that's a really easy win. And you have a proven track record with them. So a customer is always going to be more willing to deal with someone that they've previously dealt with. They've paid them some money and they've got a good result in exchange for it. So why would you go and try and find someone else when you already have had a good experience? Exactly. So that's one good thing. And, and then when we're still talking about the customers, we can survey them a little bit. Um, we can survey people who have bought something. We could find out why they bought. We could find out uh, why uh, what they liked the most and we can start putting that message back into our sales copy and that can help our conversions. So with the same amount of leads, we can now improve the number of people who purchase. Uh, we can also survey people as to um, their major challenges uh, using a Ryan Levesque type formula and we can break people into segments so that now our messaging is far more relevant to them, especially, you know, are you a man or a woman is an obvious one to start sending a different message if you have a product that's different for men versus women. And then there is a better onboarding of customers. So when people actually deal with you, have a better flow for them to go through your purchasing funnel and to make sure that they feel really um, respected and uh, valued and that will really help you when you do want to reactivate them or, or make further offers 
upsells, cross-sells, downsells, and also you can survey them about their experience, how did it actually go, and then you can start refining your product itself. And doing that might have knock-on effects such as a good word-of-mouth reputation. So in service businesses like mine, a lot of the clients are just endorsing the product to their friends and associates because they got a good result for their investment. And so that takes a little bit of load off us having to do top-line marketing when we have happy customers who not only purchase again but are sharing that that resource in public forums and with anyone who is a relevant target prospect for us. So that's a way that you can do that. It's just really focusing on the customers you already have. Yes. And I must say that Ryan Levesque's uh, survey approach is quite a good one. I actually interviewed Ryan Levesque in an earlier podcast. I know James, you and Ryan are friends as well. And Ryan talked in detail about the Ask Formula. So if, and if, for the listeners, if you want to learn more about that, you know, go and check out that podcast. And there's another one where I've done an interview with Robbie Kelman-Baxter on the recurring income uh, model as well. In addition to the second Pod, uh, second podcast episode that I've done with James on recurring income too. So definitely check those out. Your playlist looks a lot like mine, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm learning from the best, James. It's good. They're good resources and that's that's why we're both uh, interested in those things because you know surveys are very valid. Recurring subscriptions are very valid. It's, these are the things that if you go and survey most businesses, they're not going to have in place and then there's still some other ways to get some more profit from your existing infrastructure. Right, right. So speaking of challenges, you're working with some very high-profile entrepreneurs. How have you found they have overcome these challenges? What has been the biggest breakthrough or biggest um, area of breakthrough when it comes to overcoming these challenges? Is it mindset? Probably the first step is awareness. Um, When I start working with these people, I will, um, you know, firstly, they'll usually come to me and they'll, they'll recognize that I might be able to help them. Then I will do a diagnostic survey of what they've actually got. And by using a very extensive list of questions, I can reveal gaps and challenges and problems. And it's like shining a torch into a dark room. You know, they know that it's a bit untidy. They're not exactly sure what's in there, but we put the floodlights on there and we can see everything through these questions and then it's very obvious. Oh, okay, we need to to change this, move that and uh, focus on this and that's where the result will come. And then, of course, if you do this for a couple of decades, you start to build up a good sort of database of past results like what happened when we did this, what happened when we did that and you build up a sort of an experience bank. So I'm able to get pretty close to the mark because I've usually seen a pattern before and I can recognize it. It's not dissimilar to Charlie Munger's mental models that he uses to make financial decisions. If you're aware of uh, the model and what happens when you do this and do that, then usually you'll see a result. So for example, last night I got a wonderful email from a great client of mine who's just launched a recurring product and he sent me the number of subscribers he's got. I worked out the recurring monthly billing that he's now enjoying and he has basically stepped into a recurring income that is double or triple what he was normally getting from one-time promotions which he was doing every month but getting a bit exhausted by it. So he's basically set himself up to 
have a huge income year, but he's also made maybe one-tenth of the work. And so the reason that worked is because I've already done it so many times before. I've done it dozens of times before where we reconfigure someone's offering, set it up in a, a different way, and we roll it out with a high degree of predictability. So that awareness is step one. Um, seeing proof and results of people in the in the small community that we have is another way, social proof. Mm-hmm. So if three people make this change and get this this amazing result, it's pretty enticing to think, well, I think I might do that too. And if you know that you've got good support and you're in a safe environment, then it also is, is uh, the environmental factor kicks in. So you've got good knowledge, you've got awareness, you've got the, the social proof and uh, the safety net of knowing that other people have been able to do it and that basically creates the, the right result and, and it's you know almost impossible for a high level student of mine to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory you know if they turn up and implement. That's the yeah. thing I require, I just require them to come along and to do what we talk about. Okay. Now can you talk a bit about mindset James because you are one of the most incisive and you have a lot of clarity when it comes to developing a good mindset. Do you do a lot of work with mindset with your clients? I do a lot of work with mindset, but I don't think I call it mindset. I think I uh, tell stories and use metaphors a lot and I give a lot of examples and mm-hmm. I do a lot of questions and using a Socratic technique, which was really the key to when I was debt collecting and when I was selling, that's the way to move people not to tell them or to um, highlight the thing. For example, if you were, went to buy a motor vehicle today, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want the salesperson to sit down and say, okay, Ash, let's negotiate. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, that's just turning on the red lights. It's turning on the warning. Mm-hmm. You're now in panic mode because he's declared it a negotiation. Mm-hmm. In reality, that's what it is, but we don't call it that. So, I think if you start using the word mindset with a customer, they, they might think you're going to do some voodoo trick or that, you know, oh, that's not for me because I'm not really into that stuff. So I think the, the things that we do automatically cultivate a mindset. I would say that I teach people to think mm-hmm. and, and that's by asking questions and, and probing a little bit and, and agitating sometimes a thought uh, causing people to to ponder on stuff and then to percolate and then come up with with an idea, almost as if it's their own idea. That is very compelling. And if if you were to go and look at cult persuasion techniques, the hmm. way that they get the best results is that they lead people to join the dots so that they feel like it was their own decision. Right, right. Very interesting. I like that. I like how you don't call it mindset, but you use an inductive form of reasoning where you draw the person into the thought pattern that you want them to get to so they feel like they've been part of the journey and not like they've been pushed in a certain direction, but rather they have actually walked the path themselves. And I want to point out that this is very much teacher-like. It's it's an unconscious competent thing. It's not a uh, deceptive, misleading, strategic chess thing. That's not how I operate. I really operate from the heart and I have these instinctive um, methodologies that I've developed over so many conversations with people face-to-face in a selling environment and managing and leadership environment. It's natural for me 
to just assume that role where I want to bring someone through and develop them because I've done a lot of work on my own mindset, a lot of reading and a lot of thinking about uh, things that helped me overcome challenges and therefore I'm not scared for my students to be more successful than I am. I encourage it. So now I don't have to hold back and I can just give as much as possible to help them be powerful and successful because I'm not worried about what that makes me. And in fact, the more successful they are, I think that that reflects on me as being a a better facilitator. Yes, I know. You recently made a comment that you would like to see your students be more successful than you. And I thought that was a very generous and nice thing to say. Well, I think it's just a factual thing. And uh, I have seen the suppressive type leaders before who will hold back some information because they don't want people to be too successful because it threatens them. And mm-hmm. there's plenty of uh, especially uh, pushy male type entrepreneurs who would fit into that category who mm-hmm. want you to give them lots of money but they don't want you to be too successful because they need to hold the power on you. And they do play mind games and tricks and stuff. And I, I see it and I'm aware of it but I don't think a lot of people are aware of it but I don't, I don't agree with it. Very true. Let's talk about actions, James, actions that a business owner can take to get started with increasing their business profitability. Now, some things you've already touched on earlier in this conversation is to have a diagnostic approach, consider the recurring income model, increase the amount of clarity that you have, try and rejuvenate yourself often. Any other actions, quick wins that a business owner can take to really increase profitability and improve the quality of life? Well, you've touched on several of the things we talked about. One area that we haven't really covered is the, the one that a lot of people go for straight away, uh, which is they cut all costs. And you can only cost cut 100%. So it's not really a huge profit strategy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. But if you work on leads or conversions or frequency, you can have thousands of percent increase. So it's an obvious one to go for. Be careful with it. Uh, But you can certainly do a review of all your costs. So I recommend the business owner is signing off the the checks Mm -hmm. or the one responsible for checking payments. So have a look at everything that that you use as a supply cost. If you have a service business, uh, most likely your biggest cost will be your team or wages. So invest in training and systems to make them more productive. Even things that aren't obvious can help your profitability. For example, if you get your team um, bigger screens or faster internet or a training course on the type of thing that they actually do, this can actually increase your capacity to have a higher output. So you can increase your profit without adding anyone to your team but by being able to take on more business now. You could also have a look at your fixed costs versus your variable costs. So which things are always exactly the same no matter what? Uh, For example, a dedicated server, it's going to cost me the same amount whether I have one site on it or 50 sites. So when I realized that, I thought, well, I might as well sell some hosting to some high-end clients and I've got enough high-end client hosting customers that pays for my servers. So that's a nice way to offset a fixed cost. Now, if you have variable costs, then you'll want to um, have a look at how you're consuming. So variable costs might be, um, say my email system, it charges me more if I send more emails. So then I just start, I start to analyze what's the right number of emails to, to 
you know, is it worth it if I send a lot more emails and I pay a lot more? Or is it better to not bump it over a threshold, you know, by one email uh, close to the end of the month? So you can do these little tiny adjustments. But, but that's sort of small potatoes. But I will tell you, I had one client uh, uh, last week did one change with their costs uh, that made an $18,000 difference over 12 months. And that paid for his training for me for a year. And it was just by asking one of his suppliers to do a better deal. And they said, sure, we can. And they changed it and he got an $18,000 saving just by asking. So if you review every cost and question it, do we still need this? Is there a better alternative? Can we ask for a better deal? Um, could we have a creative way to offset this cost? Yeah, a good way, I think, to think in terms of fixed costs and variable costs is imagine a factory where you're producing shoes and your fixed cost is the is the actual factory and the machines in the factory to produce the shoes and your variable costs are the leather that goes into each shoe, where the variable costs are costs you incur for every incremental shoe, but the fixed costs are fixed. So fixed costs is something you can't control, but variable costs are something you can control. Uh, unless, of course, you go and build a second factory and you decide to expand you know, further, in which case your fixed costs shoot up for a period of time. Well, a simple way to look at that example is if you're paying exactly the same amount for your factory it's a fixed cost, then what you might want to do is look at adding an extra shift. So maybe you can produce twice as many shoes for exactly the same monthly factory cost. So your cost per shoe would halve in terms of the factory loading. And you're using your existing infrastructure. And in fact, that's what I try and do with my clients. I try and look at the existing infrastructure and look at how that infrastructure can be used to increase profitability without them having to spend any extra money. Something else you mentioned was systems. And I really want to touch on that because a lot of businesses, and I'm guilty of this too, get really mesmerized by new systems and new technologies. I'm an absolute sucker for this. And what they don't realize is when you move to a new system and a new t- or a new technology, there is actually a certain amount of downtime associated with learning the new system or technology. And this is something I've learned from you as well. You really need to ask yourself, is this worth it? And am I really committed to this? Or is the existing system working okay? Because if you're changing systems every three months, you're having downtime from just having learned the system and your staff is going to have downtime from that as well. So you need to be very prudent and cautious before changing systems or processes, especially if you do it often. Exactly. I mean, I've still used the same shopping cart I've used for many years. I've processed $8 million through it. There's been any number of bright, shiny shopping carts out since I committed to this system. But mm. back when I migrated to this system, I tried three others. They all broke. Uh, they, they all had shortcomings. The one that I use now, the only thing you could say bad about it is that it's ugly. That's it. <laughs> and that's not a good enough reason for me to switch somewhere else. Exactly. The fact is I don't log into it. My team does. So as a business owner, you've got to be saying to yourself, why am I even logging into this system? If you are logging into WordPress, your shopping cart, your autoresponder, uh, your help desk, then you're doing it wrong. You yep. need other people doing this stuff. So first thing is get a layer back from the system. Then it's not going to bug you so much. Secondly, make sure it's a good system that does the job. So my shopping cart, yes, it's ugly. But 
It's really well priced. It has processed $8 million faultlessly. I, only, I can remember two times in maybe six years where there's been any issue and they were all over it straight away. And one time was my fault anyway. I actually blew up their server by getting too much <laughs> traffic to it in one night because right. I had a Rambo affiliate send like 800,000 visits to my offer. Right. Um, so that was, that was my fault. And... That's why I've got a legacy system that it would it would require something you know amazing for me to switch because yeah. I've got that uh, confidence in it doing the job. Even the greatest newest systems now, even if they're a little bit uh, shinier, um, probably aren't going to be as reliable or, or do as good a job. And another example that's uh, my webinar platform that I use. Mm-hmm. I've been using it for nine years now, and it's still the best in the industry. And I stuck with it, even though there's got to have been 50 contenders for that, you know, the newest, greatest webinar software. I see the same question all the time. What's a cheaper alternative or a newer version of blah, blah, blah? And the one that I'm using is the industry standard and it probably will be for quite some time. They just have daylight between them and the next competitor in the market. So Is that go to webinar? Yeah. And I think that uh, if you if you – want to hang into a really good enterprise solution. Now, I made an early decision on that and I've got a a really great rate on that. But I would still pay the high rate for that tool because I use it every day in the business. Right. And my point was actually that even if there is a better and improved webinar system that comes out, the question that a business owner needs to ask themselves is, even if I do get some gains from moving to this improved system, how much money or how much productivity am I going to lose in the process of changing over? I I take your point exactly. I mean, I'm sitting here with an iPhone 5S or whatever it is. I I don't know how long the 6 has been out, but probably a long time. Mm -hmm. But I'm not the one to rush down to the store and create havoc for myself. If I don't absolutely need a feature that's in it today, I'll just wait. And I'll just uh, wait till my phone breaks or the software's buggy or there's some amazing feature that, that causes me to need to upgrade it and, you know, the battery starts fading. So yep. I'm not a early adopter. Mm-hmm. I'm in the early majority. I'll let everyone else go and get the arrows in the back, try out all the new stuff. <laughs> it's like this great craze of uh, Periscope. You saw it, you know, they all rush to land, grab that and stake their hold and become the world's expert in Periscope and they're only going to look foolish in a year from now if they're not already looking a bit silly because Mm. people are going to wake up and think, um, do I really need to see Ash going and buying a coffee? Uh, You know, (laughs) is that my top viewing criteria for today? And when they realize it's not uh, and you've invested all this time and energy into building out this this tool, uh, it's it's just a waste. There's so many other things you could be doing, like going back to existing customers, finding out what they love and creating that for them and making a beautiful profit. Mm, absolutely. Now, I have to confess that I am an absolute Apple tragic. So I am one of those people who runs out there and gets the newest iPhone. But I do know a lot about Apple products and I, you know, I can roll with it pretty quickly. And I think your point is that you need to ask yourself, how useful is this product to you and is it worth the change to you? Is it worth changing to this new system for your business? And if you think that it's worth it, go for it and do it. But if you think that it's going to disrupt your business, then don't do it just yet unless there's a compelling reason to do it, which is what I think you're saying. Yeah, and if you're going to do it, like do it. 
I've I've made big decisions before, like switched from a host gator to liquid web, and I know there's going to be a little bit of pain to migrate all the sites I had at the time. There was about a thousand, <laughs> so it was a big deal. I had 21 servers at one stage, wow. and now I'm down to two. And life's a bit simpler. However, we had to migrate all those sites. It took a few weeks. But when you do it, you do it and just like commit to it. It's like paddling into a wave. Once you paddle down that face, you, you can't stop. You have to just keep looking forward. And I've done the same. I moved my email system from Aweber to Entreport at one stage. That's, that's a fairly big job, but I just buckled down. I did it myself. I took a day to do it. I just exported all the things. I read the instructions. I tagged them and concatenated and excelled and then loaded them up and did it and did it properly mm. and didn't look back. So you've, you've got to just commit if you're going to make the change. But make sure it's it's basically something has to break for me to change. My server that I was on before was down for a day or so and it was costing me uh, frustration and they weren't responsive and they weren't supportive enough so I moved. And the same with um, Aweber, I just continually got hacked and, uh, and my emails were getting spread around by Russians. So it was to the point where – and it couldn't do the features that the Entreport could do with rules and tags and segments and, mm -hmm. and deliverability. So it was time to move. So for me, when the pain point – increases or the gap between what's possible and what I'm using now becomes worth it, I'll switch and I'll commit hardcore to it. Uh, and sometimes it's going to cost more, sometimes it's going to cost less. But um, my general philosophy is I want the minimum possible tools or systems in mm -hmm. my business. And I think a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space, um, firstly, they all say they've got ADD, ADHD, which is fascinating. Secondly, uh, they um, probably get more excited about looking at and talking about and than mm -hmm. actually doing the work that they need to be doing, which is creating content or working on their offer. So I think it's a great distraction. Much like uh, when, you know, when I started building my website, I spent too long fussing around about color palettes and fonts and mm -hmm. uh, you know layouts. It, it was completely irrelevant. I should have focused on the words on the page right. and an order button. Right. We all do it. I've yep. done it. You've done it. And my message is simply um, be real with yourself. Is, is the reason you're looking at this new thing or this new software or this new system because you're bored and it's a great diversion or is it because your business is critically broken and you need this thing to make it to the next level? Now, that one podcast you did with Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism, was very, very good. The information in that was fantastic. I really recommend anyone listening to this, if you want to go a bit further into understanding how to decide on what your threshold is, just check out that podcast and get the book. Yeah, it's such a shame when you get a, a crappy audio quality but I, the content was too good not to publish. It was oh, borderline absolutely. but uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the nice review. Thank you. I can say that for all of your podcasts, definitely check out Superfast Business Podcast because James has got really good value, no fluff, pure content in there. So yeah, definitely check it out. Now, something else I wanted to talk about also a little bit was culture. Um, I talked to Buck Rizvi, who, again, I met through the Superfast Business Live conference, your conference, James, um, and I interviewed him on my podcast and we talked about systems and frameworks and culture. And culture is so important. That's another area where I think a lot of businesses may be leaving profit on the table. It's a very 
woolly kind of idea. It's not as specific. It's not as measurable because it's about creating a positive environment in which the staff really want to make a difference. It's about giving them a little bit of leeway and a bit of decision-making power, but it's also about not micromanaging them, giving them incentive to make them want to grow your business, not feel like they have to work for you. Well, I think you're talking about a style of culture. I mean, culture is neutral. Yes, and, exactly. Um, you know, what type of culture are you creating is, is maybe a question. That's exactly right. I'm actually talking about a style of culture. You seem to engender this very open and collaborative culture in your business and in your community. And I would say that that is a really important tool to grow businesses. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think it's important just to recognize human potential. I, I don't want to stifle or bottle people's abilities, whether it's a customer or a team member in my own business. I, I want them to realize their potential. I want them to be there because they want to be there. So I really like people who are aligned. That's why I'm quite clear when I'm communicating about you know who I am and what what's what I stand for and people will resonate with that or they might not resonate with it and that's okay but the people who do resonate with it really resonate with it and they know they can come to a place where they will be supported and nurtured and encouraged and even tested a little bit because you know that's part of the deal with me you said in the sure. beginning I'm fairly direct mm -hmm. but from a place of love you know it's it's sure. because I, I like to see people happy I, I like to see I like to see people who actually care I mean I care about my customers, I care about my team and I like them to care about our customers and I like them to care about the business and that's why we communicate fairly regularly and very clearly. I'm always extremely open with my team about where we're at as a business, what we're trying to achieve here, uh, what is a good result for us, what is not a good result. I'll, I'll delineate that very clearly based on if we get feedback uh, we'll have a look at our numbers, but we're not completely n number Nazis. Like we'll get a daily report, but we um, and not all about the number. We're also about people. And you know, I'd ask any business owner if they have a team overseas or, or contractors, how much do they actually know about that team? Do they know anything mm. about where they live or any of their language or culture? I know you go to see your team in the Philippines very often. Absolutely, and I think that's fantastic. And, uh, I'm, very bonded with the people over there and that's because I mean that they're they're fully vested in supporting my business and I'm fully vested in supporting them and we work together and uh, over the almost six years now uh, you know we've had a great contract in place where you know I offer a fair day's pay and and really good environment to work and they offer um, a fair day's work and they support and nurture the business as well. So it, it's good for the customers, it's good for the team members and it's good for me and it, no one has to lose in that scenario. Absolutely. I take a very similar approach with my staff in the Philippines. I really think it's very important to believe in their abilities and assume that they have the best of intentions. Now, fine, in some cases that may not work out to be the case, in which case you just move on. I think the default way to start is believe in their abilities and give them some leeway and give them some creative space rather than trying to tell them exactly how to do the job. One thing I would say to business owners is, really believe in your staff and believe in yourself because people are very capable 
of doing great things. And I have learned this from my mentors. Okay, James, uh, just closing off, could you talk a bit about the books that have had the greatest impact on you? I know you read one a month and probably more. So could you just talk about some of the books that have had the biggest impact on you and why they've had such a big impact on you? Well, I think books are the, they're a really accessible information product at a very fair price. And I've been doing it for a long time. Since I was about 12, I've been reading books. Mm-hmm. And most adults don't read business books. Um, maybe they're starting to get a little more popular with Kindle, but it's mm-hmm. a great advantage. So one thing, if you do read business books or books about self-development or negotiation or communication, any of the things we've talked about, you will have an advantage on the other people. Secondly, um, you know, it's only as far away as your Kindle or iPhone or you know, physical book. It's, it's easily transportable and it's easy to, to do, especially if you're catching a plane here or there. Or you pull up, like I said, if you pull up an hour a day for yourself and you just mm-hmm. want to read, that's great. Some of the books that I've enjoyed, uh, I really liked Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got by Jay Abraham. And I think that was a pivotal, pivotal book for me, transferring myself from employment to being a business owner. And especially the last chapter, it sort of prescribes how you might go about it, which at the time I read it didn't fully sound doable, but it turned into something that was doable. And, uh, you know, I I really then, you know, demolished everything else that I could find from Jay Abraham, everything from his Mr. X, uh, which is quite an intricate read. Uh, through to his other more recent books. Uh, James, it must feel pretty cool that he's actually reached out to you and invited you to an event of someone whose books you were reading once upon a time is actually a friend of yours now. Yeah, I like interacting with Jay. I've met him a few times and we exchange uh, some emails here and there. But the And we have a lot of friends in common, which is the interesting thing, especially around the, the California zone. And I'm hoping to see him next week. But the thing is... Uh, when I did spend some time with him and I asked him about his material, which ones he enjoyed the most, which ones were the most commercially successful, uh, he also liked that book. It was his favorite book. Even though it didn't sell the most, it was probably the, the best piece of information, you know, easy to digest and uh, very actionable. I love the title. Yeah, it's very straightforward and I love that book. I mean, I love my books. I've got lots of books and I would would not really want to part with them because, you know, if you think about a book costing 20 or $30 uh, and the amount of information you can get from it, which which will usually be somewhere between three to 10 pages of notes uh, from, from my perspective anyway, that mm-hmm. some of those ideas have changed my life and... Uh, Spin Selling most definitely is one of my absolute favorite books for selling that that changed my life from a selling perspective Mm -hmm. from 20 years ago now. Can you believe that? Wow. 1995, I started my sales career at BMW and armed with Spin Selling, which I'd read two years prior. Uh, I was a machine. And then there was um, the, the other books that, that helped I, uh, some of Seth Godin's Purple Cow was a good book. It really helped me transform the customer service in the business that, that I was working in. I was able to take it from the worst performing customer service score to the number one wow. by putting in 
some feedback mechanisms and transparency and it came down to a specific thing that he did in that book that I replicated in the motor dealership that I was working at and it worked really, really well. So um, I take ideas from different places and I uh, apply them to different industries and often they have fantastic results. You know, I really love how you implement stuff. You read something and then you implement it and I think that is and massive competitive advantage because so many of us read stuff but we don't do anything with the information. Yeah, it's really important to start using it straight away. So if you read Instant Influence, start using the framework and do it over and over and over again. Um, luckily for me, if I will come across something that I really like, then I will practice on all of my coaching customers uh, that week. So on the mm. Tuesday calls, I'll probably bang home that point so many times that it's locked into my brain. And it's really one of the gifts of teaching others is that you really get to, you get exposed to the most learning of all. I mean, I've attended every Silver Circle call ever. And so that means I've, I've had by far the most training from, right. from my students even. You know, when they ask good questions and I get to answer them, it, it forces me to, to pull back into the memory bank and find the information and process it and put it out in a way that, makes sense and that's usually the the germ for a, a podcast, the, the seed that, that turns into an info product. I've created many information products based on what I've been doing with clients and uh, turn them into something greater than just a discussion. They get leveraged into you know written or printed or video material or audio and then other people can learn it. Okay. So Silver Circle, James, is your coaching community, is that right? That's the top level one where I'm helping the the entrepreneurs who are really uh, you know creating a lot of really cool stuff. Whether it's uh, meals for people to eat healthy, through to uh, tarot card reading. I mean, we've got some amazingly different entrepreneurs in there, but they all have the same drive and determination to to put more value out there, and and they can get a lot of benefit from having. A, you know, having a little look at all the key points of the business and seeing what they've been missing and how they can turn the dials and uh, they get big wins from it. Mm, cool. Yes, I've heard very good things about Silver Circle. Now, James, how do listeners find out more about you and is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Uh, well, I've got superfastbusiness.com is where most of the blog posts and podcasts go and there's a few free training courses there that um, might be helpful if any of the topics that we've talked about today were of interest mm -hmm. and of course I'm in my super fast business members forum every day answering questions and that, that's something that I've been doing for a long time now and uh, I enjoy that. I like to interact with people who are investing in themselves and wanting to make a difference to their business. Now, I'm actually a part of this forum and I highly, highly recommend it. I think I've got more value out of that than I have just about any other investment I've made. This is not a plug. I have nothing to gain out of saying this except for the fact that when I really like a product, I will talk about it just like I talk about Apple products. Very good investments. You should check it out. And that brings us to the end of our interview, James. So thanks so much for coming back and I'd love to have you back again another day. Sure, I'll be loving to come back, Ash, if you'll have me and if we can find some other things to talk about. Yeah, cool. Thanks, James. Take care. So I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. There was a lot of information that was packed in there. It did go a bit longer than normal, but I hope it was worth it for you. 
We talked about the importance of rejuvenation for entrepreneurs. That was a really important one. How rejuvenation helps you to have a high impact in your business. We talked about lead generation versus profitability and how to prioritize them. We talked about the hunting versus the farming analogy when it came to recurring income. The importance of building something worthwhile. The importance of cultivating your customer base. How to do surveys. James's approach to mindset, which was using a Socratic technique. He tells stories, uses metaphors that move people, probing and agitating thoughts and ideas. We then talked about actions that a business owner can take to increase profitability and quality of life. That was really important. We then talked about the importance of not chasing a new shiny object, particularly when it came to systems just because you saw it, but rather adopting a system because it makes business sense to you and to your business and not to move to a new system unless it was justified in the form of increased benefits or significant pain to your business of not moving. We talked about fixed costs versus variable costs and used an example to illustrate how it plays out in a business. We touched on James's podcast with Greg McEwen on essentialism and I strongly recommend you check that out. I'll add that to the resources section in the show notes. And then we talked about books that have had the biggest impact on James, his Silver Circle community and how to get in touch with him. Now, some of the other podcast episodes that were mentioned in this podcast that you'd want to check out are podcast number two with James Schramko on recurring income models, episode 18 with Buck Rizvi on how to build an eight-figure business using the right systems and culture. Episode 26 with Ryan Levesque on his book, Ask and the Survey Funnel Formula. Episode number 43, The Membership Economy with Robbie Kelman Baxter. That was a really good one. We talked a lot about recurring income, but from a very strategic point of view, Robbie has an MBA from Stanford University and also has consulted to companies like Netflix. So that's definitely one worth checking out. So I hope you got a lot out of this. Stay well, keep in touch. Any questions, send me an email on ash at productiveinsights.com. If you liked this episode or any of the other episodes, please stop by on iTunes, leave a review, a five-star review would be nice and share this with your friends. Your referral is the ultimate compliment. Now, if you'd like to work with me, head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash hire. That's ProductiveInsights.com forward slash H-I-R-E. And that, my friends, wraps up episode 50. The 50th episode, an excellent milestone on Productive Insights podcast journey. Thank you for being such a wonderful audience. And I can't wait to get to the 100th episode with you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 